Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reals. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you raise kids to be warriors in the faith and stand firm against the secular tide. We are so glad that you're joining us today because we have got an amazing podcast guest. We've got Elisa Childers, who was part of Zoe Girl, if you remember, and she has turned Christian apologist. And I just love the fact that we're having her on today because we're tackling a subject that has become oh gosh, very prominent ever since really COVID kicked off these past two years, we have just seen this huge resurgence of deconstruction of very public Christian speakers, singers, um, pastors even. And so what we're going to do today is to talk about what is deconstruction? How are we seeing it creep up? What, maybe what's some of the, the views or the goals of deconstruction and how we can recognize this and minister to it, not only in our friends, our families, or maybe people that we're going to church with, but also within our own children. So Elisa, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, it's great to be with you, Amy. Always. Yeah. So, oh gosh, it's, I'm excited. Elisa, for anyone who may not be familiar with you and your ministry background, can you just give us a little story on, on, you know, how you came into ministry and how you got started in apologetics? Well, I've been involved in some form of ministry one way or another for most of my life. So I was a very dedicated Christian as a kid, loved Jesus with all my heart, never really doubted it at all until I was an adult. And so uh spent about seven or eight years in the contemporary Christian music industry, as you mentioned. And then after that came to a close, my husband and I uh, started attending a church. We had a new baby, and we just loved this church we found in the Nashville area where we live now still. And we, about eight months into that class, the pastor invited me to be a part of a smaller study group. And it was in the context of that small class that he revealed he was really agnostic, sort of picked apart, deconstructed um, my faith and the faith of other people in the class. And so it just threw me into this spiral, this faith crisis that, um, uh, boy, it just brought me, I, I think it would be safe to say it brought me to the edge of agnosticism. I didn't fully lose my faith, but uh, it really, really challenged everything I'd ever believed. And so the Lord led me to study apologetics. And then the Lord led me to this little ministry called Mama Bear Apologetics, and I got to help write on that first book. And so, you know, I've, I've, uh, our ministries have been longtime friends. And so it's just, it's great to be here uh, sharing with the Mama Bear audience again. Yeah, it's awesome. Every time I have taught that, uh, the class on our first Mama Bear book, everybody loves your chapter. And it's just been awesome to have you contribute and be a part of this ministry. And I think it's really neat how, you know, you, through this agnostic pastor, you are led into this season of doubting, but how faithful he is that he brought you into a place of, okay, you've got these questions, you've got these doubts. Awesome. Let's look into them because right. our doubts are, do not shock God and he can withstand any question. He can answer any question. So I think that's so awesome of a testimony to the faithfulness of God that yes, we can have these doubts and we can go through these valley and low points and he is still there and he's still working. That's right. So yeah, that's we, right. And and he really his faithfulness was what led me, you know, to to rebuild. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, let's dive into this because deconstruction it's it's one of those words that is there's so much to unpack from it and there's different types of deconstruction. And we we are we're seeing it everywhere. It seems like so much of the 90s music crowd is especially deconstructing, you know, there's David Crowder and Kevin Max and John Steingard and and so I think that's setting a lot of Christians like, okay, what has happened? How can someone go through years and years and years of active, wonderful, fruitful ministry and then deconstruct? And perhaps maybe that that's where our first question needs to be is, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the process, what is deconstruction? 
That is the million dollar question. Um, so I've actually just turned in <laughs> an entire manuscript on a book on deconstruction. And the, I co-wrote that with uh, Tim Barnett. And for Tim and I, our biggest challenge was defining the word because what the reality is, is you have people using it to mean almost anything. So some people, when they say, oh, I'm in deconstruction, they might just mean they're questioning their, the view of eschatology that they grew up believing and they're moving from premillennial to amillennial. Or you might have somebody who is reconsidering their views on, you know, something maybe a little bit more um, central, like women and not that this is central, but maybe more important, like things like women in ministry or um, science as it relates to faith or something like that. But then you can go all the way across the spectrum. And to someone else, it could mean completely walking away from Christianity. So that was a great challenge to define it. But here's what we discovered. And here's how we ended up defining it. Um, and I think this is clarifying and helpful for the church. Now, you'll notice that when you asked me for my story, I actually didn't use the word deconstruction to describe what happened to me, even though I nearly lost my faith. Right. Um, and the reason for that is because after studying deconstruction, I realized that I don't actually think that's what happened to me. Um, I've gone back and forth on it uh, because when I wrote my first book, Another Gospel, I did use that word because I think that's the best word I had to describe what happened to me at the time. But after studying the movement and digging down into its philosophical roots, like where the word in this context actually comes from, yeah. I've come to realize that the dominant expression of deconstruction, as we see it manifesting online, the dominant way that it is used and the way that it was originally used in this context, it really means a, a walking away from historic Christianity. That's really how it's manifesting. Now, in recent years, well-meaning Christians have tried to sort of um, redeem the word and say, well, no, as long as you deconstruct in a healthy way or as long as you deconstruct according to the Bible. But, but, and I get it. I get why that's, you know, they want to do that. But what we're hoping to do in the book is, is persuade Christians to just don't use the word deconstruction. If you're talking about a truth quest where you, man, you're pressing into your doubts and questions, that's wonderful. We should all be doing that. But that's not deconstruction. The Bible actually tells us to test everything, hold fast to what is good. We should always be engaging our doubts and questions. But we don't need to call that deconstruction. And so that's because deconstruction really is a vehicle away from historically Christian beliefs. <clears throat> and um, it's interesting, even in the deconstruction world, how they'll make fun of Christians who try to baptize the word or say, just deconstruct in a, in a, you know, healthy way, or you can deconstruct and still remain an evangelical Christian. They think that's absolutely ridiculous because that's yeah. just not what deconstruction is. Deconstruction in the mind of the deconstructionist is for sure leaving evangelical Christianity, which we can get into because that's defined a hundred different ways too. Right. But, um, but it's, it's just for, for the most simple understanding, it's, it's a, a turn away from the core beliefs of the gospel. And that could land in different places, but it's definitely, you're going to walk away from that if you're in deconstruction. That is so helpful because when I was reading some people's stories, I was like, is this true deconstruction? It just sounds like you're wrestling with maybe tenets of the faith or something that you were taught right. by, you know, when you were a kid. And, you know, as much as we love our pastors, they are not Jesus. They are not infallible. They sometimes can be misled and can mislead others. And so that's what was, was so troubling in reading some of these deconstruction stories. I'm like, it, it sounds like you're, you're just going through maybe a, a low point or you are wrestling with maybe a teaching. And and I don't know if that's actual deconstruction. So it's so helpful that you clarified that this is in, an intentional walking away from historical Christianity. So that that is just phenomenal. So that is so helpful. And what's interesting is, you know, I'm thinking back to your chapter in Mama Bear and how you talked about how progressive Christianity, trying to define it was a bit like nailing jello to a wall. It sounds a little bit like deconstruction is very similar in in that sense, like to narrow it down uh, as you did. It, it took a little bit of like, okay, wait, what is this? What is that? I was just going to say it, it because it sounds so similar in a way or like an offshoot of progressive Christianity. I was going to ask you, do they relate uh, in some way? Is deconstruction maybe a byproduct of, of progressive Christianity? 
uh, does progressive Christianity lead to it? I was just curious what if there's any sort of correlation between progressive Christianity and deconstruction. Yeah, there definitely is. And so we could think of it this way. Progressive Christianity is a destination. Mm-hmm. Deconstruction is a a vehicle to a certain destination. So if you think of deconstruction being like getting in a car that's leaving Christianity, yeah. it, that car could actually go to several different destinations. It could go to atheism or agnosticism, or even as we were talking before we went on the air, um, commonly we're seeing people go to Wicca. Uh, it could land you in the new age or progressive Christianity. And so I think that, um, and, and understanding that progressive Christianity also is almost 100% a reaction against evangelical Christianity. Um, and what I mean by that is you don't find a lot of people converting from other worldviews to progressive Christianity. Progressive Christians are largely deconverted, even, you know, evangelicals or historic Christians. Um, and I want to, you know, we might want to need to unpack that a little bit because I don't mean to use those words synonymously. Those words are not synonymous, evangelical and historic Christianity. But, um, you know, in progressive Christianity, it's a reaction against historic Christianity. And so every progressive Christian has probably been through deconstruction, but not everybody who's been through deconstruction ends up a progressive Christian, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it is. It is that vehicle that can take many different places, but it can lead to progressive Christianity, which we're also seeing an uptick of is these sort of rejection. When we think of evangelical Christianity, and, and please correct me if, if I'm mistaken, it often is a a reaction or evangelical Christianity is often seen as sort of fundamentalist Christianity to where, you know, there is strict roles of if you are a woman, this is your one very small role as a biblical woman and biblical manhood looks in this one way. And, uh, and so there's often a, a not very Christ-like picture that can occur in that setting. Oftentimes it's man over woman, but not in a way that he is loving her like the church, like Christ commanded. It's more of a power move. And so we see people pulling away from that understanding of evangelical Christianity and falling into this more progressive, which is a little bit more on the liberal side of things to where there is more of a um, egalitarian role between male and females. They are equal. They can each do the same job uh, regardless of the setting and that sort. So that maybe is where the appeal is, is it's, it appears to be more balanced from maybe a more strict understanding or a strict view of the Christianity that they were taught within potentially their very strict evangelical church. Yeah, that's really well put. And I do think that that's a huge element and and tied up in that. I'm glad you brought up that example of women because you could have someone who maybe grew up in a really, um, legitimately abusive situation where like I've, I've looked at videos of, uh, particular dominate denominations where it's very clear they hate women. I mean, yeah. very much telling women to shut up in church mm-hmm. and just really brutal stuff. And I think that, you know, we, of course we go to the Bible and it's like, well, we read in the Bible that women specifically men and women, the Bible is very specific are made in the image and likeness of God, that there, uh, you know, there are different roles to play, but they're completely equal in value and worth and, um, commanding the husband to, to love his wife as Christ loved the churches, all kinds of things like that. But there are environments that are abusive. You know, we acknowledge that, right? Um, and so, yeah, it can be a reaction against that. But here's the interesting thing about deconstruction. And I think we're going to get into this a little bit is, is because it relates with postmodernism yeah. in the sense that truth claims are kind of viewed as power grabs. So it's got like, and that's where I was saying like it's Philip philosophical roots really come out of postmodernism. So when people are deconstructing, as I've defined it, again, I'm not talking about the person that's just wrestling with doubts and might be using the word deconstruction, but as it's manifesting online with the hashtag and all of that, when somebody's deconstructing, they're not really looking to figure out what theological theological beliefs are true and then line up their beliefs with what they think is true. Mm-hmm. Um, they might even think they're doing that, but really claims about theology are assessed in the deconstruction world based on what that person individually thinks is 
maybe you'll hear words like helpful versus harmful or oppressive versus liberating. Mm -hmm. And it's really built upon the idea that objective truth, if it even exists, can't be known when it comes to religion and morality. And so that in that sense, if you don't think that objective truth can be known when it comes to religion or morality, then when Christians come along claiming to say what that they know what it is, you're not going to engage with their actual argument because you don't even think they could know that. You're just going to think, well, why would they be saying that? They must be saying that to oppress people or to control people or to prop up institutions of power. And so very often... You'll read a story where somebody, I, I talked, in fact, with this one girl who has a pretty big deconstruction platform, and her story would break anyone's heart who heard it. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to go in there and just give give her church leaders a talking to. So you have everything from that to the person who simply thinks that because there's an unequal outcome because, between men and women in a church that might otherwise be, or that might actually be healthy and biblical with different roles for men and women in a non-abusive way, in the mind of the deconstructionist, that unequal outcome is oppression. And so the, 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 you know, the, to, for the deconstructionist to parse through the issue of women in ministry, it's not going to be like, okay, what does the Bible have to say about it? What does God speak to on this issue? Is there a different role for women to play? Is that necessarily a bad thing? That's not the conversation. The conversation is, well, the church has used these doctrines to oppress women, to keep them under control, to hinder them from reaching their full potential. And so every doctrine that might have an unequal outcome is viewed as oppressive or anything that might oppress what you think is your true authentic self. And so it's just a completely different mindset as far as how theological beliefs are even approached. Oh, I love that you mentioned that because yes, you really do see that postmodern roots of my truth. And that's one thing that I noticed my, my son and I were reading together. It's a, it's a book. You've probably heard of it. It's called the deconstructionist playbook. And it's basically like a a sort of daily Mm -hmm. devotional on how to deconstruct. And the, the, on the very first page, what it says is how you're supposed to approach scripture is you are to accept what you want to accept rewrite what you want to rewrite and throw away all the things you don't want. So this sense of truth, it's not like you had said, it's not like you're coming back to that, that ruler, that strict guideline of, okay, let's see what truth says. What does scripture actually say? That's not what it is. Instead, it's how does it make me feel? How, how does it affect me? That's right. And if it affects me in any sort of negative way or a way I'm uncomfortable with, well, then I need to either rewrite it or reject it because it is oppressing my true self, who I am. And now it's not only my truth, it now has to become your truth as well. Otherwise you become the oppressor. That's right. So it's this awesome blend of postmodernism and even Marxism to where it's, you've got oppressors versus oppressors right. and the oppressees have to rise up. But if we're not asking that important question of, wait a second, is this really true? Is this actual oppression? Are my feelings correct? Then we can go down all sorts of wrong philosophy and all sorts of terrible theology based on shifting emotions. Uh, one thing my, my father-in-law, it's, it's funny. He's, mm. um, he's more of the emotional side and I'm more of like the, the thinker side. So it's great when we get together. We have awesome discussions. And one thing he always loved to say is he goes, Amy, feelings are real. And I go, you're absolutely right, but they're not always true. And within deconstruction, that's right. It seems like it's heavily rooted in one's feelings. That's the arbiter of truth. That is the truth. And, uh, and, and there's not a lot of comparing. Wait a second. What does scripture actually say? Yeah, that is so well put. I just want to give you a hearty applause for how you explained that because it's really true that um, the deconstruction movement as it's manifesting through the books that are being written. Um, and this is the thing too that, that I think our audience might be helped by that, that we have to understand even as moms, right? Yeah. Is when our friends and loved ones are in deconstruction, it's actually not helpful to say, Oh, we'll just, you know, come and deconstruct in church. Like we'll help you walk through this because yeah. you have to understand they've already decided that your church, like there, it's not that they disagree with you. They actually think you are toxic and harmful. Like you, you, the essence of your being is toxic and harmful because you believe 
the beliefs you do. So the impetus to disconnect with their churches, with their families, and then find these online communities. I actually think, Amy, um, I mean, not to totally launch this in a different direction, no, but I do think awesome. there's a big similarity. <laughs> I think there's a, a similarity between the deconstruction sort of um, explosion and the transgender uh, social contagion. You know, we've all been talking about the social contagion aspect. Certainly there are people who have legitimate gender dysphoria. And of course, we have the utmost compassion and we want to minister and love on those people for sure. But the actual statistics of people who have uh, legitimate gender dysphoria are, are fairly low. But but when you get the social media aspect involved and you have young girls who are, are vulnerable to these types of social contagions anyway, then it just kind of catches on like wildfire. And I think that um, deconstruction is kind of like that because you have these online communities where you are constantly validated. Whatever complaints you might have against the church are validated and amplified and buttressed and supported and there are entire social media sites dedicated to finding the wackiest thing they can find online that some Christian did this week and then pumping that out to their followers saying, look, this is what, this is the church you're leaving. These are those harmful Christians that, um, you know, have gotten everything wrong. And so there's a social contagion aspect to it that is very much um, built upon propaganda. And I know that's kind of a bold claim, but I've spent a year in the deconstruction, uh, hashtag on TikTok and Instagram. And it is, it has a very similar quality to propaganda. Yeah. No, it really has. It's, it's almost seen and it's like the activation of postmodernism. So, you know, when the first book came out, it was okay. You know, you've got modernism and then you've got postmodernism. And then it was like, okay, what, what's the next one? And if, if I can venture a theory, I think what we're in now is a meta modernist era to where postmodernism, if I have my truth and you have your truth, there's not as much power in that because again, it's all subjective. So to get power, you need an objective truth claim. So within this sort of this shift within our worldview. Mm -hmm. And now even this transgender, we see this within the transgender contagion to where it's now my truth is now your truth. This isn't just mine, it's yours. And now we have to change policy, right. education, philosophy. All of this has to be changed now to affirm an objectively true claim that I am potentially um, another gender or uh, as in this case with deconstruction, we also see a bit of manipulation too of thought because within transgenderism, it used to be you were transge transgender if you uh, genuinely felt like you were a, like in my case, I felt like I was a male trapped in a female body and I was actively transitioning or have transitioned. Now it's been redefined to mean even if you are questioning maybe your gender role or gender expression, well, now you must be transgender to where I could see this yeah. same logic being used maybe subtly throughout the deconstructionist movement to where if you are doubting maybe something you were teach, you were taught as a kid or Maybe if you were taught something or learned something and it, it made you feel bad or it came off as a little gruff and now you're questioning it. Well, now you're actually in the process of deconstructing. And not only is this a good thing, this is how you become free. And there is this heavy excuse me, emphasis within liberation of deconstruction, because once you free yourselves from the shackles of theology, that is where true freedom is. And that's where you find true religion and community and fellowship yeah. and flourishing. It really is a false worldview that has just enough Jesus to kind of turn him into a Walmart grader um, and make you have all the feels, but really mm -hmm. you become the center, you become the God of your own religion. Yeah, boy, Amy, you're preaching my sermon. <laughs> this is so great. And it's like refreshing because you don't hear a lot of Christians talking this way. Um, in fact, I mean, it's, it's strange to me that what you've just said and kind of what I've been saying about deconstruction is controversial, even in the true church, because there are so many evangelical thought leaders who are basically sending the message out like, Hey, you can deconstruct in a healthy way. Deconstruction can be a good thing. And I'm just over here going, Oh, don't like, let's not do that because I get what they mean. And I certainly don't think they mean to lead anyone astray, but that hashtag, that propaganda, that social contagion yeah. is waiting for anybody who is looking for a community to deconstruct with. It's not going to be a healthy community. I can just about guarantee that. 
Yeah, no, and and you know, as we've talked about through this whole podcast, perhaps that's because of you know a misunderstanding of what deconstruction is, and because not a lot of people know that. Wait, it is to reject historic Christianity. We're not talking about a certain type of teaching. This is to reject all of Christianity. And so if people maybe realize that, then there wouldn't yeah. be that, oh, you can deconstruct here. Um, we need to recognize what it truly is, which I'm so excited for your book to be coming out, because I think that's going to awaken people that, wait a second, no, we can't cater to this one side or think that, oh, you can blend these two together. You cannot. Um, but within deconstruction, ministry can still occur and we can still speak life into that, but you cannot, you cannot really blend the two. Like sometimes we're seeing this outreach with pastors. So it's, it's interesting. We've, we've kind of gone through, mm -hmm. okay, what is the goal of deconstruction? It's for some people, it's not always to really go back to what scripture says and, and start out from scripture and move on from there and have a more robust, uh, rich theology. Instead, it is to reject historic Christianity. And so I got to ask in your research that you have done this past year, are there situations in which deconstruction might be good? Or is even that statement, does it not work because deconstruction in and of itself, since it's a rejection of historic Christianity, that's not what we should be calling it. Instead, maybe we should be calling it, you know, wrestling with the faith, or we need this sort of distinguishing between wrestling with the faith and true deconstruction. Yeah, this is a good question because Tim and I, when we were working on the book, we kind of went back and forth a couple times. Like, should we say like there's like deconstruction A, which yeah. is a good deconstruction, and then deconstruction B is the bad kind. We ditched that. And the reason we ditched that is because it was becoming more and more difficult to find any sort of good type of deconstruction. And here's what I mean. Um, you might find a few, you know, people out there saying, oh, I'm deconstructing and they're just, you know, they're changing their minds on stuff. But even when people say that, like, here's an example, uh, and this would be a good uh, thing for our listeners to do. If somebody in your life is like, oh, I'm in deconstruction, first ask them what that means. What is deconstruction? Like, how how are they defining it? Because I would probably even add to what I said, you know, it, it, it's a rejection of historic Christianity, but it's also a, like, uh, I think in the book, we call it a self uh oriented process of rethinking your faith, but just you're the standard, not scripture, not objective truth, like you are the standard. Yeah. And that's really, I think, more of a bullseye definition. And um, and so the good deconstruction uh, is, is, is elusive. Like, I'm not able to find it, even in cases where, okay, you might hear, have somebody say, well, I'm just trying to untangle authentic Christianity from... Uh, maybe some cultural American views that have tainted Christianity. Well, that sounds good, right? I think you and I both would say, well, we should all be doing that, right? If there's some sort of cultural element or some kind of Americanized Christianity that has corrupted the true Christian faith, we would definitely want to parse through that and get rid of anything that is unbiblical, anything that isn't real authentic Christianity. But you have to ask a follow-up question. What is authentic Christianity? Because here's what you're going to find. Nine times out of 10, the person who has said all the things you would agree with so far, they're not defining authentic Christianity um, based on what Jesus and the apostles passed down along with, you know, the Old Testament law and morality that Jesus fulfilled. That's not what they're talking about. Authentic Christianity is more defined as you described, um, something that, you know, feels right to me, something that um, leads me to healing or liberation according to my own uh, assessment, right? Not on, based on an objective standard. And so what happens is, is you might think that when they're saying they want to, you know, deconstruct American Christianity from real Christianity, you might be thinking, Oh, that's wonderful. Maybe they've made, you know, politics a God and they're repenting of that idolatry. That would be great. But no, what they're talking about is they'll probably say something like, well, you know, like oppression of LGBTQ people. And then you sit, then you ask another question. Well, what does what do that mean? mean? Yeah. Well, that means any church that's not fully inclusive and affirming yeah. of same sex marriage and relationships, mm -hmm. transgender ideology, radical, radical gender theory. And now we're back to the original version of deconstruction we started talking about at the beginning of this podcast, even though the words sound right and it sounds like they're trying to do a good thing, they're not defining authentic Christianity 
identity based on an objective standard. They're basing it on any sort of like it's and it goes back to that Marxist slash postmodern roots of oppression, whatever, you know, oppressed versus oppressor. And so um, it's you have to keep asking the follow up questions, even if somebody sounds like, oh, you know, I'm just I just don't want to be a racist. Well, that's wonderful. None of us want to be racist. Okay. You know, if if there's some aspect of Christianity that oppresses, um, you know, that that is wrong biblically and oppresses people based on the color of their skin or something. Yeah, let's get rid of that. Let's change mm-hmm. that. Let's repent from that. Um, so but but that's not that can be tied in with other things, but it's, it's never, it's not that they're assessing those claims based on what's objectively true or what God has revealed. It's what feels right to me or, or what is, um, you know, the less oppressive in my own subjective view. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much of what you said is just fantastic. And it's fascinating too, because we even see and we see the importance of asking questions. So I just reported, recorded a podcast with uh, Dr. Jeff Meyer of Summit Ministries, and he talked about how a friend of his came up to him and said, did you know that Jesus asked, I think it was 288 questions? And, uh, and, and that really just highlights how important it is for us as Christians to, yes, we need to be empathetic with a person's feelings, but like we say in the first Mama Bear book, feelings are a great check engine light, but a horrible GPS. Be empathetic to feelings, but we also need mm, to be asking very, very direct, clarifying questions. Because if we don't have clear definitions, then we could be arguing two different points, or we could be agreeing with or affirming something that is counter scripture. So with deconstruction, you made such an excellent point of how if you've got a friend, a family member, and they use this term, we need to be asking, okay, what is it? What do you mean? What what experiences have you gone through that have led to this conclusion? And then any time a, a phrase or a term is used, always pause and say, okay, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And most people mm-hmm. will be a very accommodating to this interaction because again, it's, it's not confrontational. Of course, tone is very important, but you're also getting to know the person and their background. You're humanizing this whole situation. And that is why it's so important that we watch our approach more engaging with people. Because if we come off in a way that invalidates mm-hmm. their feelings or uh, even invalidates their humanity or challenges their humanity or does it in a degrading way, they can often shut down. But those, those questions are so important. So uh, I've got to ask because right. as we're, good, seeing, yeah. we're seeing deconstructions among adults, but we're also seeing it happen with kids as well. In your research that you and Tim were doing, did you notice maybe how this might be creeping in to youth culture, this deconstruction movement? Yeah. Okay. So I think the this is what's interesting. The younger you go, the more people think that it's like... um the more that young people think it's it's actually like necessary it's interesting as i've gone the the younger the crowds are the more they already think like oh this is just part of my christian life i yeah. get saved get baptized and then go through my deconstruction it's like they're just assuming that this is like a a part of their normal Christian maturity. Like, this is just what you have to do. And so that's why I actually love to talk to youth groups and young people about deconstruction, because, uh, you know, with a lot of the talks that you and I do and, you know, the writing that we do, we're, we're for the most part, preaching to the choir. We're kind of preaching to people who already kind of agree with us, but they need language to help them understand why they have these red flags and things like that. But like when I go to young people, like I'm in full persuasion mode and I'll tell them like, I am here to persuade you to stop using this word. And here's why. And so I'll even, um, uh, you know, I'll show the clip of, um, I don't know if your audience is familiar with kind of this clip that went viral of John Cooper from Skillet, who, you know, shouted, it's time to declare war on the Christian deconstruction oh, right, movement. And just conference. like did the deconstruction world just lost their minds. Yeah, yeah it was at a, a concert. Or, yeah. yeah and, you know, the deconstruction movement just lost their minds over this because they're thinking, oh, John Cooper is trying to raise a militia of young Christians to violently over, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I yeah. saw the most ridiculous thing. Very like, literal. That, yeah, that's not what he's doing. But, but yeah, it's like really, okay. Yeah, I'm sure 20,000 youth at Winter Jam are packing, ready to go. It's like so stupid. But at any rate, at any rate, I'll show that. And what's interesting and, and what I'll always say is I'll say, okay, about half of you loved that. 
the other half of you is so mad right now. Like, and yeah. either one of those reactions is okay. But here's why you guys are having such radically different responses to the same video. That's because half of you understand deconstruction as a negative thing. It's an attack on the Christian faith. It's a walking away. But the other half of you understand deconstruction to be a healthy process of rethinking your beliefs, making your beliefs your own. Mm -hmm. And and right when I say that, like all the tension in the room just kind of eases and everybody's like, oh, that's why. And then I've had so many young people come up to me afterwards saying, you know, you've persuaded me to stop using that word. I want to make my faith my own and I want to, you know, walk through my doubts. But you're right. I shouldn't use the word deconstruction. And I'm always like, thank you, Lord. It's, it's, it's an uphill battle because there is so many misconceptions about it. But, um, but yeah, it's the younger you go, the more they just think this is like a normal part of being a Christian. Yeah. And, and I mean, that makes sense. This is just how you develop and you come into your own. And there's kind of this idolization of the individual to include, I need to have my own individual religion, not necessarily like I'm picking Christianity, Hinduism, whatever. It's no, I need to treat religion and claims within religion like a buffet. And I need to make one that suits me. And hopefully they've got mm -hmm. a really cool bumper sticker that I can put on my Fiat. And then I move on with my day and I've accomplished adulthood. And that's <laughs> why it's so fantastic when, because the more we talk about deconstruction, I think as our listeners are realizing, this is a worldview. It's a counter worldview. And what's so amazing is mm -hmm. when you especially help young people recognize what a worldview is and the claims within the worldview, all of a sudden it, it, their eyes are opened and they recognize it in their songs, in their, in their tweets, in the movies that are coming out, um, the stuff that they're seeing. And now all of a sudden it's not just, oh, wow, this sounds good and it inspires me emotionally. It's okay, but wait a second. I remember Alisa talking about this. This was actually a truth claim. This is actually a worldview claim. And it's fantastic because when you equip children to think well, they go out into the world and they are less likely to succumb to it because they know how to tactically engage it, which is yeah. fantastic. I, I love hearing your story of when you're talking to these teens, because yes, we've affirmed these feelings and, and where you're coming from and your own understanding. I can totally see where you're coming from, but in actuality, this is what deconstruction is. And I'm sure you've probably encountered teens who are like, oh, wow, uh, this isn't what I intended. Uh, this isn't what I meant when I thought of deconstruction. That's right. And that's probably yes. so freeing to them because I know within Christian culture, especially in youth groups, there can be that tension of, oh my gosh, if I'm if I'm doubting or if I'm questioning, then maybe I'm not really saved. I mean, Satan is so clever in manipulating um, our mm. human beings into thinking that we are unworthy, we're not being good Christians, we're falling away. And it's so empowering for young people to be like, okay, he here's what you're going through. We get it. Here's why you probably thought this way. Here's the truth. That is, that's empowering. That's for yeah. teaching young people to wield the armor and, and effectively. And I think yeah. And I also think, too, just affirming that, hey, guys, if you are rethinking your faith, if you're wanting to make sure that what you believe lines up with reality, if you're wanting to live more according to God's revealed word, if you're wrestling with things, that's good. That's not what I'm against. And just being really clear about that, like yeah. nobody is saying you shouldn't be asking questions or anything like that. That's all wonderful. Mm -hmm. My only beef is maybe let's just pick a different word. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is, it's hard, Amy, it's hard to do that because it is, it's kind of nuanced, right? It'd yeah. be so, I, I totally get why there's these leaders out there going, look, just deconstruct in a healthy way. And it's, yeah. and I get that, but, and it takes a lot of work to sort of untangle those very tightly woven knots and in, in things for people. But I think once people really get it, and, and here's a good question too, just in a practical way for people in your life. Um, I, I actually, there was a couple people on my Facebook page a few months ago when I was defining deconstruction this way, who came on and said, well, I deconstructed and I'm still an evangelical Christian. I believe scripture is God's authoritative, inspired, inerrant word, but yeah. I deconstructed. And I said, oh, fair enough. Um, and, 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 you know, so, and then I'll, I'll even say to them, um, so it sounds like you completely picked your faith apart, you know, got rid of the things that were false, put it back together in a way that reflects truth and reality and God's revealed word. So, uh, and that's wonderful. Why do you want to use the word deconstruction to describe that process? And mm -hmm. in both cases, they went, well, because I deconstruct, I said, no, I know, but, but why that word? I get, I, I, you know, I reiterated, this is what you did. 
why do you want to use the word deconstruction? And in both cases, they said, you know, I realize that I don't have a good reason to use the word deconstruction because, you know, making your faith your own, testing all things, this is all very biblical. Yeah. And we've, the church has only just now in, since postmodernism been using that word and really into the last few years. So, and they realized I'm wanting to use that word because that's the trendy word. Yeah. And I don't mean, I'm not saying that, you know, it's just a trend or this or that, but it is very fashionable. It's very trendy. There's a street yeah. cred you kind of get if you use that word. And so it's very, uh, I wonder too, like I used the word to describe my process for a long time and I kind of hung on to it and I realized I'm like, why am I hanging on to this word? There's no reason to, because I was on a truth quest always. Yeah. Um, I think I did get kind of sucked into postmodernism a little bit before I really understood the nature of truth and all that. But I always wanted to know what was true. And so that's why I ditched it. I don't use the word anymore. So I know uh, parents are going to be asking, okay, what word now can we use? Because what you just described with uh, the, the Facebook individual, that to me is like, okay, wait a second. That's testing the spirits. That's discernment in action. Is there a punchy word that would better describe, you know, okay, bringing all of what we've been taught back to scripture and then, you know, ditching the things that were not true and clinging to truth? No, this is a great question. So in, in the book, um, we are suggesting not using a DE word. So like okay. deconstruct, D something, cause that's tearing something down, right? D right. words tear down. We're suggesting using a re word. So the word that we think best fits the, what the Bible is really telling us to do when it says test the spirits is the word reformation. We're reforming mm. our faith our personal faith to the faith that's been passed down because there's a difference between my faith and the faith. You can't yeah. deconstruct the faith. Right. The faith is what explains reality. You can deconstruct your faith in a very postmodern way to not line up with that. But we're suggesting we want to be, we want to reform any incorrect beliefs to what the faith is and what best explains reality. And Amy, sometimes that's that's not going to be, um, and we talk about this in the book too, and this is where it kind of gets into the nuance, but yeah. you know, you you might even be doubting whether or not the Bible is the word of God, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but if you're on a truth quest, if you're if your goal is to find out is the Bible the word of God, is it reliable? What's the evidence for that? to even get you to a place of biblical authority, that's a worthy goal. That's also reformation. That's not yeah. deconstruction. And so we're certainly not saying that um, reformation means you have to assume that the Bible is true. No, I had to go through a long period of discovering that the Bible was true and looking at the evidence for that and what the reasons are for that. Um, but if you're searching for truth and you want to line up what you believe with what is real, mm -hmm. that's reformation, not deconstruction. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So as you've gone through this process, what are some practical tips? And we've kind of, you know, breezed over these in our, in our talk. What are some practical tips that parents can be both proactive and reactive should their child maybe be wrestling with this reformation process or they are starting to maybe do some a bunch of retreats that have that hashtag deconstruction on there? What are some ways that parents can can kind of head this off at the past a little bit to help their kiddos to be good thinkers, but then also react in a way that's healthy and Christ honoring to their child? No, these are great questions. And um, this is where Mama Bear shines because you guys are so good at these types of practical tips. And I've learned a lot from you and actually adapted a lot of the way I approach my own kids based on um, kind of the that advice we came up with in that first book. And as you and, and Hillary and others at Mama Bear continue to to give parents such good advice. But I would just say kind of in line with the Mama Bear philosophy you know, we have to expose our kids to ideas. And I think one of the best thing, things parents can do is say, hey, kids, you know, do you guys know what deconstruction is? Have you heard that word? And let's talk about it. And if you can open up those conversations where you're not reacting in fear and you're not shutting everything down 
And then just explaining to them like, hey, I think there there's a social contagion aspect to this. Let me explain to you what that is. Maybe give some examples of past social contagions and how propaganda plays into that. Um, I think teaching kids to recognize propaganda is a very important thing, part of your critical thinking skills. Um, but just sort of being open, like here, this is what's happening. It's, it's largely on social media. Also, I think kids of a certain age, and of course, this is going to be a personal conscience issue with parents, but I don't think kids need social media, um, especially, you know, up to a certain age. And that might be different for each kid, but because of the social contagion aspect and, you know, kids don't even have a fully uh, developed frontal cortex till they're 25. So um, I think it's it's important to sh- do a little appropriate shielding from that kind of thing, but also um, a little bit of exposure to what it is and what it might look like. Maybe showing an example of, um, you know, in a well-protected um, uh, environment where you're guiding your kid through it, maybe you show them a skeptical video somebody made and then either talk through it or maybe find... Uh, something like a, a video that answers that from a Christian perspective. Um, you know, Natasha Crane and I have just started a new podcast called the Unshaken Faith Podcast, where we're going to be doing some of that. We're going to take some TikToks and break them down just in like 15 minutes. And so yeah. there are really great recess, uh, resources out there, but just to give them just a little bit of a, let them feel the power of mm-hmm. the video that the person's making and then help them say, okay, like, let's think this through. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, just that, that chew and spit method that mama bear is so good about teaching is is probably um the best approach yeah and and i love that because sometimes as parents we want to put our kiddos in a christian bubble but that does not prepare them to engage the world so your suggestion to within the home this is our mini community this is we are following after christ this is the best place for them to encounter a a counter worldview. And that's where we want. We want to have this be a place where, hey, if you've heard something, if you watch something, let's engage it together. And if we could do it calmly and thoughtfully, then our kiddos recognize, oh, mom, this isn't mom just being her wacky Christian self. No, wait, she's thoughtfully engaging and she's recognizing when they make good points. This is what we want our kiddos to do because we also need Mm -hmm. our kiddos to not only engage culture correctly, but they need to know how to do it tactfully and to do it graciously. And we are the best Mm -hmm. models for that. So yes, we encourage parents everywhere. And we, we get emails all the time from parents being like, oh, you mentioned a podcast and did you know the lifestyle of this person and you shouldn't recommend it. Wait a second. If we're talking about teaching our kids discernment, that means we have to, at some point, engage a counter worldview. And this is the best place for it. Do it one-on-one with your kiddos. Tailor it to the age appropriateness of your kiddos. Your 16-year-old is going to be able to engage with things on a higher level than your six-year-old. Um, one thing mm-hmm. I did with, with my son, I mentioned earlier, the Deconstructionist Playbook. We were reading this together and it was fantastic because he got to read it. They're only about one page each. He got to read it. I read it. Oh, okay. What are your thoughts? What are you seeing? Um, what, what could be their motivation behind mm-hmm. this? And he was not only able to practice critical thinking, but also exercise empathy and then one on one. Okay. How would, how mm-hmm. would you discuss this with your friends? Now we've got on the job training happening within the home so that hopefully when he's out with his friends or when your kiddo is out, they're able to have a good fruitful dialogue rather than, you know, as, as young Christians, they just go in there like a bull in a China shop, just wielding the arm of the God, like they do their Nerf guns. And, uh, so that's why it's so important yeah, yeah. to, um, recognize that it exists, that this is something that people go through and okay, but how can we understand it? What is, I say, what happens if you're in this situation? What is the appropriate reaction? Because eventually those beautiful little blessings from Jesus are going to go out of your house at some point. And when they do, they're going to encounter the world and we want them to be effective for the kingdom. So thank Lisa, gosh, I have loved having you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Do you have any final thoughts or encouragements for parents in the midst of just these crazy times that we are living? Well, I wanted to to kind of buttress something you said that that yeah. I we didn't really get to touch on just until the very end here. And that I think you made up you made such an important point right now as it relates to our kids is to teach them to think in not in black and white categories but in nuanced categories. So, you're exactly right. When you if you choose to show them that mocking TikTok video, also train them like 
to notice that, you know, that person has been through a lot of pain. Obviously, they went through something. There's a lot of pain behind that, and we need to pray for them, and we need to have compassion on them and realize that, you know, and maybe they might even be rightly uh, pointing out a problem in the church. It's okay for your kids to know that there are problems in the church, that not every church executes everything in the most perfect way, but maybe just show them a better response. A better response might be to have good boundaries, of course. Um, you don't, you know, don't let people abuse you, things like that. But also there is in Christianity forgiveness. We don't cancel people. We don't, you know, it, it's like we're not cancer culture. Now you can forgive somebody and still keep a strong boundary with them. Or maybe you don't even need to be in the same church with them, you know, to protect and, and just teaching them to think in those categories um, is so helpful. I'm glad you, you just said that about just having that empathy. And um, I'll even do that with my kids. If, you know, it's interesting sometimes uh, they'll be even a little bit mocking about the mocking. They'll be like, yeah. you know, and I'll be like, I'll be like, well, don't blow it off that easy. You know, right. they're, they're not stupid. They're, these are not stupid people. And, and just kind of teaching them to engage in that way. But I think you guys do such a great job with that. So it's great to be with you today. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Those are fantastic points. Now, Elisa, what are some other resources that parents can turn to? I know your book's coming out. Um, when is that coming out? Uh, where can parents reach that? And as you guys did research, was there any resource that you just were blown away by like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I want to tell everybody about this that can maybe help parents learn more about deconstruction and, and that sort of thing? Well, sadly, there's really not a lot of great resources out there right now. To my understanding, uh, most of the resources on, that come from a Christian perspective that are about deconstruction are sort of taking that position that it can be a good thing and let's just deconstruct in the right way. So um, we, it was hard to find really good resources. Now, our book, which is taking the other position, it won't be out for a while. It's, it's probably, uh, we've just turned it in. So it's going to be, uh, I would say at the earliest, maybe late spring, summer, um, and hopefully by fall of next year. So, um, that, that would be, um, we're, we're trying to get it out as quickly as possible just because of the time sensitive element of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I, I'm really excited for that because I'm hoping we can bring a different perspective to, um, what we see going on. Absolutely. And gosh, we will, we will be anxiously waiting for that. But just having you here today has been such a huge blessing and helping open that door of understanding what is deconstruction? How can I minister to it gracefully and help my kids think better about this project? So, Alisa, I know you've got your, you've said, I've got a new ministry with Natasha Crane. Uh, how can parents get in contact for more of your content? Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I have the Elisa Childers podcast, which is more like yours. It's longer. We go deeper into issues with guests. But uh, the Unshaken Faith podcast is a weekly 15 minute or so uh, sort of hot take on cultural topics. So we've done a couple episodes on one on the, the transgender contagion. We just released an episode on the He Gets Us campaign and kind of mm -hmm. discerning through that. And so we're going to be uh, talking each week about these types of things. It's the Unshaken Faith podcast. And then we're also launching a conference, the Unshaken Conference. And we're going to be doing four uh, major cities over the, the next year. So if you want information on that, go to unshakenconference.com. Oh, fantastic. Y'all are not going to want to miss that in 15 minutes. Gosh, moms, we can we can make that happen. Check out these amazing resources. Right. <laughs> we've got uh, on Mom Bear Apologetics, we've got our books, we've got audio podcasts, we've got blogs. However way you learn best, we have got resources to equip you. So check out mamabearapologetics.com for more information. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me. Mama and Papa Bears, thank you as well. May you have a blessed week and come back next time for our next Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.